You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. There's not a soul sleeping out there after that, huh? Doesn't that, uh, think about those words and think about how uh, the Spirit does impact every one of us who calls Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. We're studying today continuation in Luke. Pastor Jeremy is going to be preaching from Luke chapter 18, verse 35 through 1927. If you're using the prayer back or the the share back pipe Bibles, uh, that's on page 825. So we'll start out at 1835. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near... He asked him, what do you want me to do for you? He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. Chapter 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone in to be with the guest, be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Verse 11. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable, because he was near to Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. When he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him, that he might know what they had gained by doing business. 
The first came before him, saying, Lord, your mina has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little. You shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said to him, And you are to be over five cities. Then another came, saying, Lord, here's your mina, which I kept laid away in a handkerchief. For I was afraid of you, because you are a severe man. You take what you did not de deposit and reap what you did not sow. He said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit and reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank? And at my coming, I might have collected it with interest. And he said to those who stood by, take the mina from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minas. I tell you that everyone who has, more will be given. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. But as for these enemies of mine, who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the teaching of the word and application of it. Help us to be attentive. Help us to be learners. Help us to apply your word to our lives to grow more like your son, Jesus Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. Thank you, Dr. Ralph. On May 6th, a month ago, King Charles III was officially recognized as the British monarch he is, and along with the Queen Consort there at Westminster Abbey with the Archbishop of Canterbury, he was put on his throne. Turns out I wasn't invited to that thing. I mean, maybe the invitation got lost in the mail, but I didn't get an invite there. I did get invited to like a early 2 a.m. or something watch party. Did anybody get up and watch that thing in the middle of the deal? I remember texting the family, what do you do at a watch party to watch a king? Why would we be up talking? What are we doing on this thing? I slept through it. But truth be told, even though I'm not like this huge fan of Great Britain or a Angliophile, as I guess it gets called, I, had I been invited, I would have gone to that inauguration because... He is a king, and that's kind of cool to see a king get put on the throne, right? Or, or if King Charles was in town and said, uh, turns out I'd really like to come to Mill Creek Community Church. I mean, we'd be happy to receive him here, right? I mean, a few of us might even go up and say, can we take a quick selfie with you? Or ussy, as I guess they're called there. I don't know. Because we're happy to be invited to see a king put on the throne. And I think many of us would be willing to even identify King Charles as a king, because he is. But I think the truth is none of us would actually bow the knee to that king, right? I mean, unless you're here and you've got some really weird views of 1776, he's not your king. 
I mean, we're America and everything. I mean, we were founded on we don't want no king. We hate kings. That's why we're doing our own thing. Thank you. Self-democracy. But if you got an invitation to that inauguration, you would have gone, yeah? Or if King Charles wanted to come have dinner with your family, you would host him as a king, right? Well, here's, here's the point. Here's where I'm going this morning. It seems to me that with King Charles in view, many of us, in, most of us in here would be happy to identify there is a king. I recognize him if he was here. We'd be happy to receive him even into our home, have dinner with the king if he so wanted to. But none of us would actually believe him to be our king because in our culture, we actually, we hate the idea that there would be a king over us. We have an allergic reaction that there would be an external authority, somebody above us who would have the audacity to tell us how we are supposed to behave. Americans hate that. I think a lot of Christians do too. Even if that king is named Jesus. We just don't like it. And, and spoiler alert, that sort of a response to King Jesus is not Christian. It's not Christian. And in this morning's text, what, what Luke wants for us in this section is for us to do business with this concept of Christ as our king. And what Luke wants us to take away, the whole reason he's written this section is that we might, we might be able to get that Christ really is king, that we would recognize him. Luke also wants us to receive him as king, but most importantly, he wants us to bow the knee to King Jesus and to respond appropriately to King Jesus. If you're newer with us here at Mill Creek, kind of the way we do sermons here is we walk ourselves through a book of the Bible, just passage by passage, and we find ourselves here nearing the end of Luke where Jesus will die on a cross. So he hasn't that hasn't happened yet, but it will shortly. And in our text then, there are really three parts to how Luke has written. And since we're just trying to preach from the Bible, whatever it says, there will be three parts to the sermon. So if you're curious, how many, how many main points, pastors? There's three, and here's the three. Blind man, short man, noble man. That's the way this section works. You can see it there in the text. We'll talk about the blind man first. Second will be the short man. Third will be the noble man. So if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open up to Luke 18, verse 35? If you may have been here and you wanted one of our handouts, they're just right there on those tables behind. Or if you need a Bible, just look in the little chair backs that are in front of you somewhere. Grab a scripture, because I want to show you how this scripture unfolds for us. Luke 18, 35, let's begin with our first big idea around the blind man. There at verse 35 of chapter 18, Jesus is getting near Jericho. And at this point in Jesus' ministry, he has become very popular. There's huge crowds around him. And as you might imagine, I mean, it'd be like a modern-day parade. There's so many people, thousands of people perhaps. And folks are buzzing about him. And there's this blind man there outside Jericho who's beginning to hear the buzz... And so he says, who is this? Of course, because he's blind, 
he doesn't know. And then somebody says, look in the scripture, somebody says, it's Jesus of Nazareth walking by. Do you see it there? Verse 37, they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And then the blind man cried out, look at 38, Jesus, son of David. All right, will you say, uh, will you say uh, Jesus of Nazareth, one, two, three, Jesus of Nazareth. Sorry, I did that too fast. <laughs> will you say Jesus of Nazareth? Right now, go, stop, okay. Let me try that again. Will you say Jesus of Nazareth, one, two, three. Will you say Jesus, son of David, one, two, three. Those are two very different titles, aren't they? Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, son of David. And if, like me, you ever do a morning Bible reading, you may see this thing and go, oh, no biggie. But if we paused for a second, why does the blind man change the title? He's the blind guy saying he's been told that's Jesus of Nazareth. But when he starts yelling, he says, Jesus, son of David. If we, if we just took 10 seconds to pause right there in our morning Bible, we may go, well, does... Does Luke talk about David anywhere else? So, quick Jeopardy question. Where else does Luke talk about David? Can anybody think of somewhere? Maybe chapter 1 or chapter 2? Do you remember where Jesus is born? In the city of David. That's Bethlehem. And do you remember who Jesus' adopted dad is? From the house and lineage of David. And if we took a moment, what we might realize is, you know... There is this Old Testament theme that especially is seen in 2 Samuel 7, look that up later if you want, where we are told King David one day will have a son on the throne who is Messiah, who is the King of Kings. And you've got a blind man in the text who got told Jesus of Nazareth is coming and he goes in his brain, this ain't Jesus of Nazareth. No, no. This is the king of kings coming. And that's why the blind man cries out, Jesus, son of David. And he's yelling something fierce. Do you see that in the text? Well, what difference does all of that make anyway? Here's, here's the takeaway. Do you notice that you've got all these people who can literally see Jesus, but they're calling him the wrong name? And then you've got a guy who is blind, literally, to Jesus, but actually gets Jesus better than everybody else. You could say it like this. Somebody in this story actually sees Jesus for who he is, and guess which character it is? It's the blind man. I think that's cool. And even though the blind man is rightly seeing Jesus... Look at verse 39, because the crowd is preventing him from getting to Jesus. Those in front of the blind man, as he's yelling his fool head off, tell him, modern vernacular, shut up. Hey, blind man, don't want to hear you're yelling here. Just somebody shut that guy up. He, that is annoying. That's what the crowd does. But does the blind man bow to peer pressure? He don't care what that crowd has to say. Good grief, he's already blind. What's he got to lose? So verse 40, he keeps yelling, Son of David, have mercy on me, because he's recognized the true king. And the blind man gets something about Jesus. What the blind man realizes is, he's the king, and I want an audience with him. 
I mean, if King walked in, wouldn't it be cool if you could get on his calendar? If for nothing else, just to go, I was on the calendar of the king. <laughs> Where are you going later today? I have an appointment. Why don't you ask me who? Who, Jeremy? The king. <laughs> That's cool. Here, this blind man, he knows something about Jesus. And he knows that the king will see him. So what does Jesus do? What does the king do? Verse 40, Christ commands... The blind man be brought to him. Which isn't that exactly what you would expect a king to do? A king issues royal commands, and here Jesus is going, bring the man to me. And then the king asks, what do you want? Which of course is not a question that King Jesus is asking for information. Okay, King Jesus knows everything, so it's not like he's having a mental block and he's like, oh, you're blind. Uh, man, what is it? What did, what did you need again? I forgot. Uh, my... My all, all knowledge is faulty right now. Okay, that's not happening. What Jesus is doing is asking a question that would reveal the blind man's faith. King Jesus wants all the crowd to see the faith of this blind man. That's the purpose of this question. So the blind man tells the king the truth. I want to recover my sight. And our royal king just declares it. Isn't this interesting? He just declares Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. Which is to say, the blind man's faith spiritually leads to his healing physically. You see that? His faith spiritually leads to his healing physically. In verse 43, everyone praises and glorifies God. Here then is Luke's big idea. In this first section, what are we supposed to see in this section of the blind man? Answer, you are to recognize the king. This is what Luke wants for you. You walked in today. Hey, pastor, what's this particular passage doing? It's this. Do you recognize the king? My guess is many of us may be willing to go, oh, look, King Charles is on the throne. Oh, man, I got invited to the inauguration final. Go, look, there's a king. This particular passage is calling you to recognize the true king. And do you? Do you recognize the true king? See, there really is a king who reigns and rules over this world. And his name ain't King Charles. Thank the Lord and George Washington and all those people. No, there really is a king who rules and reigns. And while the prince of darkness may think he's calling the shots, he's a liar and he's deceived. King Jesus is ruling. He is the true king and he is coming back one day. And as we await for King Jesus, we are to recognize him as such. Perhaps a few of you walked in and you said, would have said, I have no king. Or, or maybe you would have walked in here, and if you're honest, you, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, and frankly, you're the king in your heart. You're your own king. Ain't nobody going to tell me what to do. I'm American. I kind of call my own shots. I'll do whatever I feel like. Thank you very much. I'm my own authority. If that's you, here's an offer. The king is asking you right now, bow the knee. You can recognize the king. He can save you. Believe in the king with the eyes of your heart. And you could be saved. You become a Christian right now if you would recognize the king. For those here who are Christians, 
you do, you would admit, yes, I believe in Jesus Christ the King. Here's your application. I'd love for you to write it down. Have faith in King Jesus. Have faith in King Jesus. See, if you have faith in King Jesus, then you would, you would call out to him. Anyone in here suffering? Anyone in here limping around, having a hard time making it to church this morning? I know a few of you, you, you crushed this week, man. You showed up this week, and, and your grass is so green that Adam and Eve are jealous of the kind of little landscaping thing you did. And you've been at work, and you just got a raise for, for getting a raise last week. You, they, they gave you a raise, and they said, you did so good at getting your raise, we'll give you another raise. And you just got promoted, and you're, everything's going great for you. And I'm so glad you're here. I wish you'd rub a little bit of that magic dust off on me. For the rest of us, some of us walked here, and we're barely here. I mean, we just drug ourselves in to this service today, and, and maybe you're even sitting here going, man, I don't even know how I got here, but you're here. And you've had an awful week, you've had an awful month, you've had an awful year, and you are desperate. You are desperate for some sort of help. And what I'm telling you is, in a way, just like this blind man, the son of David is walking by right now, and all you have to do is call out to him, and he will hear you. Anybody desperate enough to say, hey, hey, King Jesus, may I have an audience with you? Hey, King Jesus, I'm really hurting. Would you please offer me what I need? Have faith in King Jesus. And don't be surprised, friends, if you start desperately calling out for King Jesus, don't be surprised. The crowd is going to tell you to shut up. There are people in our world who will dissuade you from bowing the knee to the king. They do not want you asking the son of David for mercy. And some of them even have the audacity to call themselves your friends. They say, oh, that Jesus stuff, that's not real. Are oh, you going to that church? That's, that's not the facts. But what the book is telling us is there really is a king who has the power and authority to do anything he wants. And he's asking you right now to call out to him. Because the way King Jesus' rule works is he hears all of it. He'll hear you. He'll hear you just like he heard the blind man. So don't listen to those king haters who tell you to shut up. Call out to King Jesus. Have faith in King Jesus. Call out to him. Well, that's the first response Luke wants for his readers, to recognize the king by having faith in Jesus. Let's move to the second section in this particular text we're preaching through. We go from blind man to short man. Look at 19 verse 1. We're entering Jericho, and in that city is a man named Zacchaeus. Say Zacchaeus with me, one, two, three. Zacchaeus, and, and Zacchaeus is a, is a very rich chief tax collector. Now, in case over breakfast you forgot to brush up on ancient Israelite tax collecting pra practices, let me help you out. The way it worked for a guy like Zacchaeus is he would bid a region to determine how much tax to give to Rome. Okay, so for a modern-day parallel, imagine a zip code. Uh, the church is in 66227, so a guy like Zacchaeus would say, okay, 66227, there's this many people. This is about how much they make. So I can collect a million dollars in tax from 66227. And, and you'd have five or six different guys like Zacchaeus who bid to Rome. Here's how much I can collect for you. And Rome, they didn't care what you bid. They just took the highest bidder. So whoever's going to give us the most money, that's who gets that zip code. So Zacchaeus had this particular zip code in Jericho, and what Zacchaeus would do then is he would go out and he'd get his million, 
because he has to give that to Rome no matter what or else he's in trouble. But then he was incentivized to take as much of it as he wants. So if he could charge $2 million, he keeps the difference. That's how a guy like Zacchaeus made his money. And that's why Zacchaeus was hated. Even though he was an Israelite ethnically, he took advantage of his fellow Israelites to line his pockets in loyalty to Rome. In fact, Zacchaeus in modern day parallel would be like the tattletale in an authoritarian state. Like if all of us lived in communist China and they were government officials saying, hey, tell us who's leading this underground church. And you decided, yeah, I'm going to rat on my uh, I'm going to rat on my pastor, I'm going to rat on my brother, I'm going to rat. If you did that, you were an informant for the state, you would have been hated by your family. And that's how Zacchaeus was. He was hated, everybody. And as we can see, Zacchaeus is quite small in stature. Or somebody close to me said, he is vertically challenged. <laughs> and so, as it is, he cannot see King Jesus coming in this parade and Zacchaeus he isn't going to get in the middle of it I mean if you have little kids and you're at a parade sometimes you tell them just just sneak up front those adults won't matter you can get in the very front because you're short and nobody's going to care but Zacchaeus isn't about to do that because he's he doesn't want to be in the middle of a crowd with all these people who hate him so he does in his mind the next best thing he gets on top of a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see anybody remember that VBS song nope just me okay <laughs> How unexpected in verse 5, when the Lord looked up at him and says, Zacchaeus, you come down from there, for I'm going to your house to stay. Yeah, some of you knew it. I saw that. Now, it is forward of Jesus to invite himself to Zacchaeus' house. You don't do that. I mean, we don't do that in our culture today, or at least we shouldn't do it. I mean, you shouldn't come up to me and say, hey, I'm coming to your house for lunch today. That's not how it works, okay? But Jesus does, and, and look at Zacchaeus, verse 6. He's overjoyed to receive Jesus. Would you say overjoyed? One, two, three. Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received Jesus joyfully. In my mind, there's this little short guy with gold everywhere, gold chains and gold rings and a gold grill, and he's coming down that tree. I'm going to take Jesus to my house. Here we go. That's Zacchaeus. And the crowd's response, verse 7. They're grumbling. They're grumbling. Because culturally, I learned, when Jesus says, I'm eating with Zacchaeus, culturally, that was Jesus' way of saying, I think Zacchaeus' job is good. Now, of course, Jesus doesn't say that anywhere in the scripture, but that's culturally what it meant. And so Jesus is taking the shame of Zacchaeus' reputation, and he's now sharing it with Zacchaeus. Which is why everybody's grumbling. Doesn't Jesus, doesn't the king know you don't go eating with those guys? Because you're now sharing in his condemnation. But Jesus, by going to eat with Zacchaeus, is saying, I'll take his reputation. I'll take it. You can put it on my shoulders. I still want to go to that guy. And of course, it's not just Jesus's, Zacchaeus's reputation that Jesus is going to take, is it? No, just a few days later, Jesus is going to not only take Zacchaeus' reputation, he's going to take his sin and condemnation on his, on his shoulders on the cross. But for now, Jesus takes 
Zacchaeus' reputation. He takes that grumbling. People think Zacchaeus is a bad guy. Jesus doesn't mind. He's happy to be identified with Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus' incredible response, verse 8. Zacchaeus commits half his goods to the poor. Hey, King Jesus, I now get who you are, and I'm going to give half my stuff away. Oh, and the people I defrauded, the people I stole from, somehow Zacchaeus knew what he owed them. I'm going to give them four times what I stole. And, of course, that all illustrates Zacchaeus' heart of repentance. Jesus seeing Zacchaeus' repentance in these actions declares, verse 9, today salvation has come to this house, and this tax collector now is a true son of Abraham. Which is to say, with all of these Israelites around, all these Pharisees who go, man, I'm a son of Abraham, who hated Zacchaeus, Jesus is holding Zacchaeus up and going, here's a true model Israelite. And Jesus says, because I came to seek and save the lost. Which, if you think about it, is incredible. There in Luke 19, 10, a beautiful picture of what our king came to do. He came to seek and save the lost. Think about that for a second. I mean, can you imagine King Charles doing that? Hey, king, you're on your throne. What would your first order of business like to be? I would like to go after everybody who rejects me as king. Oh, you going for America? Sure, put them on the list. Okay, what are you going to do when you confront them? I'm going to invite them to bow the knee to me and join my kingdom. Who does that? Nobody does that. I mean, you look up history, or if I've missed some minor king somewhere in some ancient history book, would you please come inform me? Because the best I can understand, every single king I've ever read about in history, they will go after rebel subjects, and what will they do when they find the rebel subjects? They will slaughter them. That's what a king does, but not King Jesus. He seeks after the lost because he wants to save them. Here's King Jesus going to rebels and saying, hey, I'm the king, and I wondered, would you like to say sorry for being a rebel against me? And of course, that's what King Jesus did for all of us who believe in him, yeah? All of us have been confronted in our sin. I mean, if you're here and you're a sinner, join the club. The difference is, are you going to bow the knee to King Jesus or not? What we see here in Zacchaeus is, it doesn't matter what the culture says about you. It doesn't matter how hated you are by people around you. It doesn't matter what your reputation is. The king has come to seek and save the lost, and he has come to seek and save you. Here then's application. I'd love for you to write it down. Receive the king. Receive the king. One of the ways that we receive the king is by joyfully honoring him. And that's what we saw with Zacchaeus. See, here's what I think is very tricky for some of us who call ourselves Christians. Those of you who walked in and would have said, yes, I acknowledge that Jesus Christ is my king. We can have this tendency of thinking, oh man, I, I've made Jesus my king, but I'm really unhappy about it. And, and following Jesus as king is like, is like eating burnt toast. It's, it's, like, it's like nasty. You're like, fine, I have to do this. This is what it means to be a Christian, but I'm not going to like it. As if Jesus is here wanting to be some king that we're dragging our feet and wringing our hands and thinking, you're just a real heavy-handed tyrant, and I have to serve you because otherwise I get slaughtered, so here I go, but it's no fun. When in fact, following Jesus 
is the very opposite of that. And other pastors have said it better than I can. But what I'm trying to get you to see is Zacchaeus joyfully receives Christ as king. And the invitation for you is to joyfully receive Christ as your king and to joyfully honor him. In fact, God, he is glorified when you are able to joyfully obey Christ. These two things aren't mutually exclusive. Unfortunately, our world tries to tell you that being a Christian is actually doing really miserable things with the rest of your life and having no fun at all. And all the things that the world says are fun, we don't do because we're actually miserable creatures who have a king and we obey the Bible. That's what being a Christian is. And it's a lie. Being a Christian is actually obeying God, which gives us great joy. And true pleasure is found in obeying him, following the king's way to live. Joyfully honor the king. Joyfully honor the king. Well, that's our second big idea. We've seen a blind man. We've seen a short man. It moves us to the third part of this sermon, the noble man. Look in the text in verse 11. Verse 11, we find this parable that Jesus is sharing. A parable, of course, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And Jesus shares this story, or Luke tells us explicitly, because they were confused about when the kingdom of God was to appear. See that in verse 11? They were confused about when the kingdom of God was to appear. Now, what you have to understand, if that's confusing to you, is there were those then who thought Jesus was actually going to ride a donkey into the city. He was going to go into the temple. He's going to flip over some tables. Then he's going to go to the capital of the Roman Empire. He's going to kick that guy in the face, and he's going to rule and reign in a geopolitical kingdom forever and ever. Really? That's what some people thought? Yeah. And by the way, that's actually going to happen. In case you haven't read your Bible, at the end, Jesus really is coming. He won't come on a donkey the second time. No, he comes on a war horse with a sword. And he will destroy all of the enemies. And he will take the government seat and he will say, thank you, step aside. I am the king of kings. I am the lord of lords. He will be crowned. He'll be inaugurated. You're invited to the inauguration, by the way. And we will all be there, whether you like it or not. And we will bow the knee and we will say, king of kings, lord of lords, and God will get glory. That's happening. Bless the Lord. Well, they thought it was going to happen immediately. And of course, the reason that we don't struggle with that is because we live in 2023. <laughs> and we realize, yeah, that did not happen then. But they thought it was imminent. So Jesus tells this story. That's why we get this parable about a nobleman who is King Jesus. The nobleman, verse 12, prepared to journey into a far country where he would receive his kingdom, which would have been normal. You have to go to a far country where you're going to be given the kingdom, then you'll return and reign. And prior to leaving, he gives the ten different people one mina each. One mina is like 25 grand. Can you say 25 grand? One, two, three. So everybody gets 25 grand. And his command to them is invest my money until I return. Okay. Look at verse 14. The nobleman heads off to the far country. And there are some citizens who hate the nobleman, and they send a delegation after him to tell him as such. Hey, just so you know, we hate your guts, and we don't want you to rule and reign here. Jesus will deal with those when he returns. But first, verse 15, we see what happens to those given the 25 grand. 
When the nobleman returned, again, King Jesus, when he returned from the far country, he asked for them to tell, how did you do with this investment? Verse 16, the first servant who was given 25 grand has 250 grand to show for it. Man, good job. And this incredible return received a well done from the nobleman, as well as an unbelievable reward. Do you see it there in verse 17? Look at the reward. Because he doesn't keep the 250 grand. He gives that back. But what does he get? Authority over 10 cities. Now, in case you forgot to brush up on how valuable a city was over breakfast, let me just help you out. Being an authority of 10 cities, it'd be the equivalent of like $10 billion. So, so you had 25 grand and you made 250 grand. And then all of a sudden you've just been given oversight of $10 billion. The original audience would have realized the reward is disproportionate to what the servant actually did. Oh man, that is way different than what we were expecting. It's shocking, that sort of a reward. But hey, it's the nobleman's money, and it's his cities. He can do with it what he wants. Verse 18, the second servant, he 5 x the money. He gets five cities. Final servant, verse 20, and the focus of this parable. This guy has nothing to show except the 25 grand. And, and look in the scriptures. He says something like, well, I was really afraid of you, man, because this is like a lose-lose. You know, if I make money, you're going to take it. And if I lose money, you're going to be really mad at me. So I just, I just, I dug a hole. This third servant did not even allow the money to make interest. And so the nobleman's response, verse 22, he says, I'm going to condemn you with your own words, which is to say, the nobleman is going to judge that third servant based on how that third servant perceived the nobleman to be. And the extra 25 grand given to the guy who already had 10. And what about those citizens who hated the nobleman back from verse 14? Well, it's verse 27. The enemies who didn't want this rule would be slaughtered. A scary end to rebel enemies who will not rightly bow the knee to king or the nobleman. Here's the point in this third section. Rightly respond to the king. Rightly respond to the king. See, here's what this means. Let me, let me try to bring this thing all home. If you will, like the blind man, rightly recognize the king. And, 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 and if Jesus walked by, you go, man, that's King Jesus. He is Lord of Lords, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. You rightly recognize him. And if, like Zacchaeus, you will receive him, why then, like the servants, the first two servants, you have to rightly respond to the king. That's what Luke is calling us to do. So, so it's three R's. <laughs> do you recognize him? Do you receive him? And will you respond to him? That's what Luke is asking us to do. And it's all about a king. Application. Faithfully steward what the king has entrusted to you. See, the king, if you're here and you're a Christian, the king has given you gifts. Pastor, does that mean like my, my, my property and my finances? Of course it does. Your property and your finances, they're not yours. Well, my name's on the account. 
there's a magic asterisk that says it belongs to the king and he's going to call you to account for how you use it. Same with the skill sets he's given you. Same with your spiritual gifts. Some of you have a personality that, that is particularly wired to help share Jesus with the lost. Some of you are wired and gifted to serve the church in unique ways. All of those things are to be stewarded for the king. And what this parable makes so clear is that once the king returns, everyone faces judgment. I mean, we often talk about the rebels who refuse to bow the knee and they'll face judgment, and they will, and hell is real, and that will come for some. But those who bowed the knee to Christ will also face a judgment. And what this parable is teaching us is there will be some who have faithfully stewarded what the king has given you, and you will get 10x. You will get a reward that is so disproportionate to whatever you did that you're going to be in heaven going, oh my word, are you kidding me? 10 cities? <laughs> I get to be the, of 10 cities? And of course, some won't get that sort of reward which may have you going, wait, you mean for Christians there's different levels of reward in heaven? Is that what this thing's teaching? Totally. Jesus isn't a communist, is he? <laughs> if you're thinking to yourself, wait, I haven't ever heard that before. Matthew 6, 20. 1 Corinthians 3, 8 to 15 would be two places. Matthew 6, 20. 1 Corinthians 3, 8 to 15. Come up and chat with me more. I'd love to visit a little bit about it. But what we see is, in heaven, there will actually be different people who are rewarded differently. And to be clear, I don't think in heaven, if you get the ten cities and I don't get any cities, that I'm sitting there jealous and mad at you and sinning. That's not going to happen. I think I'm going to be full of joy on your behalf for your good. And yet, different stewardship, different faithfulness, different rewards. But to the truth of the passage that we've now walked through. What I hope you're getting is, King Jesus, he really is on the throne right now. And he really is coming back. And if you've never bowed the knee to him yet, today could be your day. And all you have to do is call out to him like the blind man. Receive him like Zacchaeus. Rightly respond to whatever he's given you. This is the Christian response. At his ascension, the king went to a far country, and King Jesus is right now ruling at the right hand of God. But as we await his return, recognize, receive, and respond to King Jesus. May we never treat him as some royal figurehead. May we not see him as a parallel to King George. Oh yeah, there's a king over there somewhere. No, no, we should submit to the king. Make him your king as you wait for your king to return. Let's pray. And now, Holy Spirit, we are desperate for you to work. I pray, Spirit, for anybody who doesn't know you, you would miraculously give life. Lord, for those here who have bowed the knee to you at some point but have stalled out or are stumbling, I pray you would encourage and give wisdom and next steps. Lord, I pray you'd find you grant us grace to be faithful to you and to steward everything that you've given us the right way. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.